The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with getting set for a Tuesday turnaround after Wall Street's first positive day in four, but futures are now struggling for gains. Also, big banks and Fed speakers, they are front and center today. As Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, they get set to report We'll tell you what you need to be watching for ahead of those results coming up. Also in Washington, Congressman Jim Jordan gaining momentum to become the next Speaker of the House. But the path to victory is all but certain. Plus, President Biden said to make his second trip this year into an active war zone as he readies to head to Israel tomorrow. And then later in the show, Vladimir Putin lands in Beijing for a closely watched face-to-face with Xi Jinping. We lay out the implications for Wall Street and Washington. It is Tuesday, October the 17th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow's best day in a month and the S&P's first positive session in the past four. Take a look. You see right across the board right now, the Dow looks like it opened up about 85 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq down just about a quarter of a percent each. But as always, we say it's early. So we're not only just talking about the major averages this morning coming off a very strong Monday session. It's also the Russell 2000, the small cap showing strength, rising more than 1.5 percent yesterday for the best day since July. You see the moves right here. Big upswing here, uh, as you can see again. The small caps closing up one and a half percent higher. Same story for the Dow transports coming off a nearly two percent gain. Take a look uh, up almost two percent, as you can see again, big upswing right there. So all this on the back of falling Treasury yields. You can see two very rate sensitive sectors right there getting a benefit. So right now we're seeing actually a rise in the Treasury yields this morning. We're seeing the four, uh, the 10 year, the benchmark at four point seven four. Uh, Moving a bit higher this week, the long bond actually making the biggest move, up about 10 basis points. Remember, this is a read on investor confidence and also inflation expectations. And very important to note, the two-year at 5.1, taking another move to the upside, well above 5% yield right now. And last but not least, the energy sector, especially WTI. That's where we start, the benchmark for the U.S. at 86.79. Up fractionally this morning, Brent crew, that's the international benchmark, at 89.88, kind of vacillating between 87 and 88, up a quarter of a percent. Natural gas, kind of a muted move this morning, kind of a uh, different from what we've seen in recent days, only up fractionally right now, you can see right there. All right, that's the setup for the U.S. markets. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Our Jemana Brissetti, she's live in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Jemana, good morning. Morning, Frank. Well, after more positive handover from Wall Street yesterday, Asian markets overnight, what we saw initially was more green on the board. In the last half hour, we started to slip somewhat. So it is a mixed bag. You can see that for the most part, though, most of these European indices are trading around the flat line here. The FTSE 100 in the UK is the outperformer, up three-tenths of a percent. Uh, There's one stock in particular we're watching there. That is Rolls-Royce. The engineering company has confirmed it's going to be cutting 2,500 jobs. So it hasn't met with a positive stock reaction. 
reaction. We also had some macro data coming in suggesting that UK wage growth has actually started to moderate somewhat, even though real wages are in positive territory. But Zetradax in Germany is slipping. We're down about a tenth of a percent. Uh, we're seeing some strength come through in the likes of Airbus, up 2.1% today, RWE, another strong name. And then the Cacarons, you can see, is also above 7,000, though basically treading on water. But in terms of the sectors, uh, let me just give you a broad overview of where some of the leadership is coming from. Oil and gas seeing a bit of a jump today, up three-tenths of a percent. Utilities, I mentioned RWE, up three-tenths. Healthcare also up about half a percent. So some of the defensive sectors are doing quite well. On the flip side, miners have been struggling this morning in Europe, down 1.8 percent. A bit of a break in the price action that we had yesterday. Financial services also down seven-tenths of a percent as well. So pretty much split between green and red. As markets continue to focus on the earnings season that's coming out, the rising interest rate environment, and of course, geopolitical developments within the Middle East. Frank. All right, Germana, thank you very much. Our right, Germana Bersetti, live in our London newsroom. We now turn to Capitol Hill and new developments overnight as Congressman Jim Jordan appears to be closing in on securing a Republican majority, paving the way to become the next Speaker of the House, though there are still a few holdouts in his path. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now from Washington with the latest. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So today could be the day that we see a new House Speaker elected. A floor vote is expected today at noon. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is the GOP's nominee. Now, he appears optimistic that he will get the 217 votes needed to secure the job. Jordan sent a letter to his Republican colleagues on Monday urging them to stay united, writing in that letter that the country and our conference cannot afford us attacking each other. When Jordan was nominated Friday, more than 50 members of his party said that they would not support him. So he spent much of the weekend on a pressure campaign trying to win over his skeptics. Meanwhile, the pressure is on for the House to select a speaker. Congress is needed to sign off on assistance to Israel and Ukraine. And federal funding expires in mid-November. So there is a risk of a government shutdown happening. So Jordan can only afford to lose four votes on the House floor today when that uh, vote comes up. So we could see one of those situations play out where there are multiple votes uh, similar to what took place back in January. Kevin McCarthy uh, was selected or elected uh, on the 15th vote. So hopefully we'll see it happen earlier than that, Frank. All right, Bree, thank you very much. Our Bree Jackson live in D.C. All right, we're now turning our attention to the war in the Middle East and breaking overnight. The State Department confirming President Biden will travel to Israel tomorrow as the war between Hamas and Israel continues now into its second week. This will be the president's second trip into an active war zone following a trip to Ukraine back in February. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Biden will, quote, reaffirm U.S. solidarity with Israel and our ironclad commitment to its security. We have much more on this story coming up later in the hour. All right, turn our attention now back to Wall Street and the continued focus on treasuries, long bonds specifically, seeing some of their biggest fluctuations since the beginning of the 2020 pandemic. The 30-year yield jumping almost 10 basis points yesterday alone. The large swings presenting fresh challenges to investors that are dealing with the highest yield levels in more than a decade. For much more, let's bring in Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO of New Street Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Delano, always great to have you here. Thank you, Frank. Great to have you. Great to be here. So we got to talk about these treasuries right now. Taking a look at the yields, we're talking about the 30 year now trading at its highest level since about 2007. Similar story for the 10 year. Does that change your view when it comes to fixed income and how you're advising your clients to invest? 
No, I think it's still, you know, the, the, the view we've had for the past couple of months still still there. I think, as you mentioned, it's looking, you know, when you look at the move in the 30-year bond, it's looking like it's going to be higher for longer when it comes to, to interest rates um, and also uh, looking at just the way that investors are thinking right now. So, so I'm looking at it from a standpoint of where we're going economically. Um, if you look at what the Fed is poised to do, I think they're looking to see unemployment rate change before they make any sort of move or change in the in the in the mandate that they've been going with so far. So so our expectations stay the same. Um, I think for investors right now, uh, you've seen the last couple of months been a lot more volatile in the equity market, and that's obviously has a little bit to play with what's been going on in the bond market. So right. so those things have to play a part in how you're constructing a portfolio right now because because it just really is a situation where it's okay. different than we've seen for the past. So you mentioned some economic reports, obviously the jobs report, PCI, um, I mean, PCE, CPI. We're always looking at these economic reports. We actually have one that could be meaningful today. I'm talking about retail sales out at 830 this morning. Now, this report comes after the XRT, the retail ETF, had its best day since June yesterday. What are you expecting when it comes to retail sales? And is this an instance where good news is actually good news? We see retail sales pretty strong and that doesn't increase the odds of a hike. Yeah, I think this will be a situation where good news, like you mentioned, it could be either good or bad. But I think we'll potentially see a strong reading here. And, and again, that could play a part in, in how the strong the consumer is right now. And the consumer has been pretty strong so far. And a weakening consumer uh, could be a situation where investors could be looking at, you know, gaining more confidence in, in what's going on going forward. So I think that if we're looking at it from a, a surprise, either on a 0.2% increase month over month, if that changes, you know, much a bigger surprise to the upside or to the downside, that will definitely have an effect on the markets. Because again, the consumer has been strong so far. If you look at, you know, the XRT, you know, reading hasn't been that strong. Some some companies have done fairly well. If you look at Lululemon okay. uh, year to date, but it, overall, Got it. you know, that reading hasn't done that strong. So really quick, I want to get your take on the Fed. So honestly, when I was talking about retail sales, I was kind of thinking that it might influence the Fed, um, even though most people think we're going to see a pause coming up in two weeks during the November meeting. Um, if retail sales are stronger than expected, because they've been pretty strong, there's actually been upward revisions over the last couple months. Do you think the Fed factors that in? Where are you at when it comes to a pause or a hike in the next two meetings? Yeah, 100%. I think the Fed factors that in. Uh, obviously, they're still factoring in, you know, all the numbers we're seeing um, on the CPI and all the numbers we're seeing on the PCE. So, so that will be factored in. And I think, you know, one thing I, I, I thought was super important for investors to, to learn right now or see right now is is what happens, you know, when we see a change in interest rates and what happens when, you know, we see a potential um, recession coming out of the pipeline. So those are the two big things that investors are I'm actually looking at is when we'll see, you know, a change in consumer, potentially this is one of the readings that will show us that. And also if we see any change in what the Fed's mandate is, because it's been strong so far, say that they're waiting for right. more data to be able to change or even pivot um, on yeah, any well, of your actions. We'll so have to far. wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. Delano support. Always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, getting set for Goldman Sachs and Bank of America, the one key number you need to watch ahead of those reports, plus activist on alert and why Nelson Peltz thinks you are no longer in good hands. And speaking of Goldman Sachs, there's reports David Solomon may be hanging up his headphones for good. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? 
At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Earnings season picks up again today with more results from the big banks. Bank of America and Goldman Sachs, they're both out before the opening bell. B of A, the worst performer among its peers this year, down more than 18%. It's sitting on more than $100 billion in paper losses from its holdings of low-yielding treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Goldman's also down this year, down 8%, as deal-making and trading revenue continues to decline. Investors are also focused on the bank's retreat from consumer banking, the latest move, the sale of GreenSky, the lending platform Goldman bought just last year. Let's talk much more about this now with Nancy Priel, co-CEO of Essex Investment Management, which owns the big banks in their portfolio. Nancy, good morning. It's great to have you here. Good morning. Nice to see you. All right. So as we mentioned, you, ho- you own Goldman. It's the largest holding yeah. in the financials in your portfolio. You also own the other money center banks. Let's start with Goldman. What are you expecting today? So we think that the Goldman quarter could come in a little bit better than expected today. Um, we've seen estimates come down sharply over the last month or so. And so we think that if they do surprise positively, it will probably be in their trading revenue. However, what it what investors are going to be watching for is to understand what they're doing with the business they're going getting out of, what's happening on the M&A front, because that trading revenue matters much more, and then what they're seeing in terms of their asset growth. Let's talk more broadly about the banks. We're just about six months or so away from the collapse of SVB. Give us a sense. Over that time, how has that colored your view of investing in financials? Are you ready to hold on to what you have, trim your portfolio, add? Where are you at right now? Well, we are holding essentially with where we are. We have fairly low exposure overall relative to the rest of our portfolios in the banks. Um, We do think that the sector is very cheap here. I mean, it's certainly under love, been one of the worst performing sectors in the market overall. And the factors that led to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the others are no longer as big an issue. We're not expecting any major fireworks. However, We also don't think that it's an area that's going to see great appreciation over the near term as investors continue to grapple with the risks inherent in the bank's portfolios, with the net interest income, with consumer deposits, and most importantly, with credit quality. You know, Nancy, as an investor, I think it's interesting. You're saying that you don't see the same risk, but we're just talking about Bank of America, about $100 billion in paper treasury holdings. Important to mention that it's on paper. A lot of the other banks also holding treasuries. As we see higher for longer and yields rising, are you concerned about other Treasury losses in the other banks? Well, we're not as concerned as what we saw in the spring because we think that the deposits are more stable at these banks than they were with Silicon Valley. Remember, they're only losses if they need to recognize them. And part of what happened with Silicon Valley Bank was that they they did need to recognize those losses. Having said that, 
If we see another sharp rise in the long-term rates, that's where the funding stress could come from. We do think that higher for longer is a manageable opportunity for the banks. They've got, they are, have wrapped their heads around that reality. They're trying to reposition their portfolios. Right. The bad news on B of A is the known news today, and it's the unknown news that we need to worry about going forward. All right. So I know the majority of your holdings are in the big banks. I also just want to get your take yeah. on the regional banks. We're talking about banks like they're a big monolith, when in reality, we right. know there's just two different sides of this. So when it comes to the regional banks, what do you think about the valuation in that area of the financials? You mentioned that the big banks, I think, are cheap right now. Do you have the same opinion right. when it comes to regionals? Well, the regional banks are also cheap. However, we think that these credit concerns and lending concerns, and particularly the small mid uh, small and mid-sized businesses and the commercial real estate um, issues will be a bigger factor for many of these regional banks. In addition, they are seeing, we believe, more pressure on the deposit side than the big banks that have been a um, flight to safety in many cases for consumers who've moved their deposits there. So we're, we are less enthusiastic on the regional bank side. There will probably be some opportunities as we go through earnings season, but it's not an area where we would make any big moves. All right, Goldman Sachs, your top financial holding, reporting later today. Nancy Priel, it was great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, for all of you out there, don't miss a first on CNBC interview with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan today. Bank of America also reporting. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern on Squawk on the Street. You don't want to miss this one. So ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, how Russia and China are looking to take advantage of the rising global tensions ahead of a key face-to-face meeting. We are live in Beijing with much more on that story coming up. You might not think that a few simple words can make you crave McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But if you listen closely to the sound of me saying McGriddles, McMuffin, you might be wrong. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your big money movers. That's three stock stories in the morning. We begin with server value reportedly building a stake of more than 5% in Fortrera Holdings. The Wall Street Journal says the activist investors expected to reveal that position today for Trera, which was spun off from LabCorp, provides drug trial and other research services to pharma, biotech and medical device companies. Starboard believes it's been saddled with extra costs from the spinoff and plans to push for changes. Taking a look at shares unchanged right now in the pre-market. You don't want to miss an exclusive interview with Starboard CEO Jeff Smith. That's on Squawk on the Street at 9.45 a.m. Eastern. Nelson Peltz's firm, Tryon Fund Management, has reportedly bought a stake in Allstate. The company has reported five straight quarters of losses as it struggles with the fallout from natural disasters such as the wildfire in Maui. Reuters reports Allstate has hired investment bankers to advise on how to handle Peltz, taking a look at shares of Allstate up just fractionally right now in the pre-market. And Taiwan Semi's third quarter profits expected to slide by 30 percent. The world's largest chipmaker reports its results on Thursday. The decline likely reflects a strong performance last year when Taiwan Semi benefited from post-pandemic demand. Analysts predict a return to growth next year as the chip industry emerges from a downturn. Taking a look at shares of Taiwan Semi, up right now, up over 1%. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, how Tim Cook is reaffirming Apple's commitment to China as that country looks to crack down on foreign-made tech. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast if you miss Worldwide Exchange. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this.
All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, you pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. Futures right now, I am promise, we're going to show them. Futures right now in the red across the board, however, off of their lows of earlier this morning. Right now, looks like the Dow would open up about 45 points lower. We're also looking at the bond market this morning. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year, seeing it at 4.75. Important to note, the two-year yield at 5.11 elevated, well above a 5% yield, the 30-year also moving higher, about 10 basis points from where it was yesterday. Remember, this is a read on investor confidence and also inflation expectations. We also want to look at the energy market. Oil, as always, we start there with WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up a third of a percent at 86.97 a barrel. Brent crude crossing the 90-bucket barrel mark during the show just a short time ago, up almost a half a percent right now. Natural gas up over a half a percent. That's your setup for the U.S. markets now. We want to turn our attention to our top story and a very busy Tuesday shaping up from Capitol Hill to the Middle East, starting with Israel breaking overnight. The State Department confirming that President Biden will travel to the region and meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Wednesday in a show of solidarity as its war with Hamas continues into its second week. Further east, Russian President Vladimir Putin arriving in Beijing early this morning to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Putin among the leaders attending the Belt and Road Forum in China. The two nations are looking to position themselves as a calm alternative to the West. Chinese state media saying the West has a, quote, pension for sowing chaos and conflict. And then in Washington, D.C., Congressman Jim Jordan appearing to be closing in on shoring up Republican support for his bid to become the next Speaker of the House ahead of a vote later today. Worldwide exchange coverage this morning on all these stories and much more. Sky News Middle East correspondent Alastair Bunkle is in Jerusalem. Eunice Yoon's in Beijing and our Emily Wilkin. She has the very latest from Capitol Hill. Alistair, good morning. Let's do actually Eunice. We want to begin with you live in Beijing. Eunice. Thanks so much, Frank. Well, as you mentioned, President Putin is here on a very rare overseas trip. Uh, for the Russian leader. Um, He's here on the invitation of President Xi Jinping, his dear friend, and also the man behind uh, the Belt and Road um, Infrastructure Building Program. So as part of a a show of support, uh, President Putin is going to be taking part in this uh, Belt and Road Forum. He's going to be starting with the opening reception, which is hosted by President Xi. Then he'll be speaking as an honored guest after she uh, delivers a keynote speech at the leadership uh, meeting, which is going to take place on Wednesday. And then he's going to be holding a one-on-one with President Xi. Now, Putin's delegation includes the heads of oil and gas giants, Rosneft, as well as Gazprom. Uh, The Kremlin, though, has been playing down any uh, big business deals with the Chinese on this trip. Now, the two leaders are also presenting themselves, um, as you had suggested, as a united front um, in trying to draw contrast uh, between uh, what uh, Beijing has described as as chaos and conflict um, led by the U.S. as well as its allies. Uh, The messaging in state media has been that this Belt and Road Forum is a, quote, road to happiness, offering peaceful development development and cooperation as opposed to what uh, Beijing and Moscow say that they are providing. Frank? Eunice, thank you very much. Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. So now we want to turn our attention over to D.C., where there's a big vote coming up later today to decide the next Speaker of the House. Our Emily Wilkins is live in D.C. with much more on that story. Emily, good morning. 
Good morning, Frank. Well, yeah, noon today, after about two weeks of closed-door conversations following Kevin McCarthy's ouster, the House is finally going to be and taking a public roll-call vote for the next Speaker of the House. Right now, Congressman Jim Jordan is the Republican's nominee. He's been gaining momentum and support to be Speaker, but he can only lose five Republican votes. And there were at least five lawmakers last night who told reporters that they still couldn't support Jordan. You know, many moderate Republicans would lose their seats if they lost the support of independents. And they're worried that having Jordan as the head of their party could really jeopardize them with elections. Remember, Jordan was one of the individuals uh, who kind of pushed back. Uh, that Biden won the 2020 election. There are a lot of concerns around that. Congressman Don Bacon, uh, who's one of those uh, Republicans who sits in a seat, uh, a district rather, that Biden won, said last night that many members feel like they're being yanked around by this small minority of members that's not playing by the rules that Republicans set for themselves. I've communicated to Jim that we do need we need something if somebody votes against the rules they get pulled off committee we're gonna have to put some teeth into this because what has happened doesn't work we have a minority of the majority kicking our butts still there's momentum behind Jordan right now a number of Republicans who previously opposed him called yesterday for a unity behind him. They said that they now do support Jordan. Remember, the House isn't able to pass any legislation, including expected aid for Israel, as well as a government funding bill until they get that speaker. And now the pressure is really on with the House right now, given that the Senate is back in session and that Biden is expected to send his funding bill on Israel this week. Frank? So, Emily, uh, obviously the momentum's for Jordan right now. He's the front runner. But it's certainly not a kumbaya moment down there in D.C. McCarthy, it took 15 rounds of votes. Do we have any sense how long it could take for Jim Jordan to become the next speaker? That is a great question, Frank, because at this point, it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to get it in the first round, unless, of course, he's changed some minds since we spoke with folks last night. Of course, Republicans, they don't want this to go on another 15 rounds. They want to show unity. They want to show that they are finally all together. Uh, But it's not clear at this point how long it could take. And remember, of course, there are other Republicans waiting in the wings to see if they could get the 217 votes they need to become speaker. Plus, there's discussion about giving temporary powers to pass legislation to current acting speaker Patrick McHenry. So a lot of other options on the table there, uh, but certainly plenty of Republicans who are hoping they can just get a speaker today and turn back to the legislative work of the House. All right. Emily Wilkins live in D.C. Emily, great to see you as always. Thank you. Turn our attention now to the Middle East and President Biden said to visit the region tomorrow. Sky News Middle East correspondent. Uh, Alistair Bunkle. He's in Jerusalem right now with the very latest. Alistair. Good morning. Well, President Biden's visit being announced in the early hours of this morning. Uh, He will fly from Washington to here to meet with Prime Minister Netanyahu and other members of Israel's war cabinet. And then he'll go to Amman, a short flight away in neighboring Jordan, where he's expected to meet with the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, Fatah al-Sisi from uh, Egypt and King Abdullah from Jordan. This comes off the back of a frantic 72 hours or so from the US Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who did a tour of the region to make sure primarily that what is happening in Gaza does not spill out into the wider Middle East. But there's also discussions in other areas on the table. 
hostage releases, for example. We'll have to see whether they've made any progress in that. And, of course, one of the reasons Biden is coming to visit is to show solidarity for Israel. The Department has said that part of that trip is showing solidarity. Is he also going to address the humanitarian crisis that seems to be developing on both sides of this conflict? The humanitarian crisis in Gaza is severe and it is getting worse. Every day they go without running water, food and medical supplies. We hear horrific stories. I've just been reading of one anecdote that says that doctors and medics are now having to drink IV bottles because there is no water for them to stay hydrated. So, yes, trying to get humanitarian supplies into Gaza is urgent and fundamental, and also trying to see whether they can get safe passage for some people to leave Gaza, perhaps just dual nationals, but at least try and get some people to some safety over the border in Egypt. All right. Alistair Bunkle from Sky News, thank you very much, and you stay safe as well. Well, as the war between Israel and Hamas enters its 11th day, we can see this, continue to see the massive toll this conflict is taking on infrastructure and how lives are being changed forever. There's also one sector of the Israeli economy getting hit harder than any other. That's tech. And those disruptions are being felt all around the world. Uh, Julia Borston has that story. Frank, Israel's economy is massively focused on tech more than any other sector. The tech community accounts for an estimated 14 percent of the country's jobs and nearly 20 percent of its GDP, according to Israel Innovation Authority, making it the country's largest sector. And now many of Israel's tech employees are among the 360,000 reservists called upon to mobilize. It's estimated that the impacted workforces of many tech companies range from 10 percent to 40 percent. There are three key components to Israel's tech ecosystem. First, there are the big U.S.-based companies, such as Intel, reportedly Israel's largest private employer and exporter, along with NVIDIA, Microsoft, Meta, Apple, and others. They employ engineers and have offices there. Then there are the Israel-based public companies, such as Mobileye and Checkpoint Software, plus Teva Pharmaceuticals and software companies Monday.com and Wix. And third, there are Israeli startups. They drew a peak of $26 billion in funding in 2021, that dropping to $16 billion last year and $5 billion so far this year, the decline reflecting concerns about the country's judicial overhaul. Frank, back over to you. And that was our Julia Borston. All right, from the Middle East to D.C. to China and Russia, let's bring it all back to what this means for Wall Street. Joining me now, Brian Gardner, Stiefel Chief Washington Policy Strategist, and the co-host of the Potomac Perspective Podcast. Always a tongue twister, Brian. Good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right. If you don't mind, let's start off with D.C. right now. Um, again, Jim Jordan, the front runner for Speaker of the House. Um, are you expecting him to be elected today? And all this tension when we talk about the U.S. economy, the possibility of a shutdown one month from today. How, which, how should investors view all this? So uh, on the election of the speaker, um, I'm, I'm skeptical that Jordan's going to get it on the first ballot. Uh, I think Emily laid it out pretty well um, that he's had momentum, that he, Jordan, has had momentum through uh, after the weekend. Uh, a lot of the no Jordan votes broke towards him, but he's still several votes short. Um, the question is how many? And I think they want to use that first ballot today to kind of smoke out the opposition and see who's left standing and then work on those those holdouts and try and flip them. So um, 
I don't think it's going to be 15 ballots the last time. Um, I don't think Jordan uh, would would stick around for that long. Um, but it's going to be more than one. Uh, the question is two or three. But I, I think in the next couple of days, it probably gets wrapped up. But, you know, let's be humble about this and, and acknowledge that it's been unpredictable the whole time. So you're saying wrapped up with Jim Jordan being elected Speaker of the House? I, I think so. Okay. Um, you know, look, you know, it's, it's not a foregone conclusion, but I, I think that's the most likely outcome at this okay. point. Let's just go forward with that hypothetical situation. Let's say at some point, maybe less than 15 votes, but at some point Jim Jordan's elected. Um, is funding for Israel, is that top of mind for this Congress right now? And let's talk about the geopolitical ramifications of this speaker race being dragged out and that funding being delayed. And some of the other things that we're seeing today, including you know Russia and China meeting up and calling the West uh, agents of chaos. So Congress is going to be dealing with two international aid packages, one for Israel and a second for Ukraine. And the Ukraine issue has obviously been out there for quite some time. There is growing um, uh, resistance to Ukraine funding among Republicans. It's always been in the, in the House. It may be growing in the Senate. And I think the, uh, the Biden administration and Senate Democrats, congressional Democrats will want to tie the two together because the Israeli funding uh, is uh, has wide bipartisan support. There's going to be a lot of pushback against Republican by Republicans to tie the two together, maybe strip them out, have them separate votes. But I, I think funding for Israel um, it, it's going to happen. The question is, does it get slowed by the Ukraine issue? The Ukraine funding, I'm less certain of. Um, and that's kind of getting into your, the second part of your question, the long-term ramifications. Um, I mean, I, I would argue that uh, China and others are looking at the situation in Ukraine and are funding and support for Ukraine, um, similarly to how I think Russia viewed our withdrawal, the Americans' withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so if there is, if there, if, Congress decides to significantly reduce or cut off aid to Ukraine. I think that has the potential to embolden China uh, in its pursuit of reuniting with Taiwan. All right. Um, so we're really tying this all together right now. So there's, there's a lot of geopolitical implications right now for investors. So at least for this week, there's a lot of questions up in the air, as you mentioned. The vote for House Speaker that you think won't take 15 votes, but may take quite a few. We have China and Russia meeting up. And of course, we just have the situation in the Middle East right now between Israel and Hamas. As investors, how, how should they view this coming up week? Are, we, are you expecting to see um, big announcements that could create volatility? I mean, how would you look at it? So, so far, I've actually been surprised by the whole situation that there hasn't been more volatility. It's ticked up a little bit, but not significantly. So I, I think resolving the, the issue domestically in the United States is a positive um, that could reduce volatility. I think volatility tied to the international issues could be longer term. Um, one, depending on how the situation in Israel and Gaza develops and escalates. The China issue, which I, uh, which I referenced in Taiwan, that's a longer term issue. So I, I don't expect short term volatility from that. But that is something to keep in, um, in mind, depending on how Congress deals with Ukraine funding. Longer term, I think there are uh, there are implications from that vote. All right. One other thing I want to ask you about is uh, restrictions on AI when it comes to China. Um, some reports that the Biden administration could make an announcement related to that. As we see again, Russia and China meeting up ahead of a forum in China and in Beijing right now where Putin's in Beijing. Um, what's the political climate when it comes to de-risking U.S.-China, decoupling? I mean, give us a sense for investors especially. How should they view the situation? 
Yeah, so, so, you know, there was a lot of happy talk a couple of months ago uh, after a series of meetings in China between Biden administration officials and Chinese uh, Chinese government officials. Um, I, I always thought that that was overdone and that U.S. domestic policy uh, and politics was going were going to dictate a different outcome. So, you know, I, I, I think the de-risking from an American perspective uh, uh, kind of decoupling a little bit from China is going to continue domestic pressure here in the United States to be tough on China, especially ahead of 2024, is going to increase. You mentioned the, the chip issue. We have the um, the tariffs, uh, the extension of the tariffs, which is yet to be resolved. I think that's going to come in the in the coming months. So I, I, okay. I, I don't think we're entering a kind of a new um, era of, you know, feel good era with China. Um, I, I think okay. it's going to be going to be a, a go tough on China policy. All right. Brian Gardner, always great to have you here. Appreciate the time and the insight. Thank you, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the battle of the billionaires seeing a leadership shakeup as Bernardo knows hopes of reclaiming that number one spot. It's just a bit of a snag. We have those details coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Goldman Sachs initiating coverage of TripAdvisor with a buy rating and a $22 price target. It says it sees upside to street estimates on the back of faster revenue growth in certain divisions and increasing efficiencies that are leading to better profitability. Shares of TripAdvisor up just about one and a half percent this morning. We have another initiation, this time Stiefel with Amazon, giving it a buy rating and a $173 price target. Stiefel saying no other e-commerce platform comes close to matching the scale that Amazon has amassed. Take a look at shares of Amazon. They're actually down half a percent in the pre-market. And we also have a downgrade from Morgan Stanley on Amgen, giving it an equal weight rating. Morgan Stanley says it sees risk reward around this stock as balanced following recent moves in the shares. Shares of Amgen right now unchanged in the pre-market. All right, coming up here at Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Also, a busy trading day ahead with a hat trick of earnings, data, and more speeches from Fed officials. We also have fund stress Tom Lee. He's here to lay out where he thinks stocks will be taking their cues from. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more WEX after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with the Wall Street Journal reporting that Starboard Value has built a stake of more than 5% in Fortrera Holdings with plans to reveal that position today. The journal says Starboard plans to push for changes at Fortrera. Those shares are unchanged in the pre-market. You also don't want to miss a CNBC exclusive interview with Starboard CEO at 945 a.m. Eastern. Reuters reporting Nelson Peltz's firm, Tryon Fund Management, has bought a stake in Allstate. The report adds that Allstate's hired investment bankers to advise on how to handle Peltz. Those shares up fractionally right now. New numbers from Deloitte show overall, shoppers are predicted to spend an average of just over $1,600 this holiday season. That's up 14% from last year. Also, Apple CEO Tim Cook making a goodwill trip to China, appearing at a 10 cent gaming tournament just weeks after reports that Beijing is starting to restrict use of the company's products in some government agencies. China was responsible for nearly 20% of Apple's sales in its most recent quarter. And LVMH founder and CEO Bernardo No is no longer the second richest person in the world. That's following a recent sell-off in European luxury stocks. Arnaud's net worth now just, I'm using just as a joke, 
155.1 billion. That's just below Jeff Bezos with 156.3 billion, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Also, Financial Times reports Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon decided to put a pause on a side hustle of spinning records at high profile events. The bank says Solomon's hiatus from DJing is not new, adding media coverage of his second career was a distraction. He says it's the media that's the distraction, not spinning the music. Unrelated news. I'm available if you need a DJ. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Here's what to watch today. Several pieces of economic data on tap, including retail sales and the latest look at home builder sentiment. We also have a busy day on the earnings front with results out from Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin and United Airlines, just to name a few. We also have a number of Fed officials speaking today, including New York President John Williams, Governor Michelle Bowman, Richmond President Tom Barkin, and Minneapolis President Neil Kashkari. All of them speaking, so a lot of Fed speakers out there today. So earnings, econ, and also Fed speakers providing a potent mix for investors today as we gear up for the trading day ahead. Taking a look at futures, they're off their lows of earlier today. Right now, it looks like the Dow would open up just about 60 points lower. For much more on this, let's bring in Tom Lee, co-founder and head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Tom, good morning. Always great to see you. Great to see you, Frank. All right. So give us a sense. How do you see the day ahead shaping up? We just mentioned all the different things in the mix. The Fed speakers, are those potential market movers? Uh, Absolutely. You know, markets are dealing with a lot of uncertainty right now because uh, we're in the midst of earnings, which hopefully is better than expected. We've got a geopolitical situation that's uncertain and interest rates have been creeping up again. So I think markets remain on edge and I think investors are not that committed. I still think the bias is to the upside, though, because of positioning. Investors really position cleared over the last 10 weeks. All right, Tom, in all fairness, you are one of the biggest bulls on the street. So I think you're generally pretty bullish about the market's direction. With that bullishness in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? So the WEX word of the day is uncertainty. But why? Well, it's just uh, I, I think investors generally like a narrative that's really clear. And right now there's a lot of multiple narratives in place. But I think that the prevailing story is going to be that this uncertainty clears stocks because investors are sort of not invested and we're in a seasonally strong period, we're going to rise through the end of the month and you know, into the end of the year as well. All right. So with this uncertainty in mind, I know you're also looking ahead to retail sales out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We're also coming off a day where the XRT retail ETF had its best day since June. What are you expecting from retail sales? And as this report, are we going to add this to the list of market movers? Uh, yeah. I mean, Markets are data dependent, so they're going to look at retail sales, um, I think, kind of on the seat's edge because, you know, you, you do have a lot of headwinds there. We know delinquencies are up and we know consumers have student loan repayment resumptions and generally the employment market has softened on the edge. So uh, if it's a good report, that would be good news. But as you know, futures overnight are a little soft and I think investors are just waiting to see. Wait, so Tom, I want to be clear. So this is a situation where, you know, so-called good news is actually good news. Are you, you're not worried that strong retail sales may make the Fed uh, more likely to come out hawkish or Fed speakers today more likely to come out hawkish? Is this a data point that you think moves the Fed towards a more hawkish turn? Well, I think the Fed's speak in the last couple of weeks has made clear that they think the rise in long-term rates has, is doing a lot of the work for the Fed. So they're in the mode that the bar is pretty high for them to, to actually increase rates again. I think good retail sales would actually be good news because it would show that the economy isn't stalling and headed for a hard landing, but it's, it's, it's 
sort of supporting that soft landing scenario. Okay. Uh, we are in earnings season. I want to get to one of your picks right now. Not reporting earnings this week, but earnings are certainly coming up, I believe, a week from today. Um, it's Cadence Design System. Give us a sense. Why is that a smart pick right now? As you just mentioned, we are in a higher for longer environment. Well, Cadence is, is, is one of the most important companies in terms of helping design high-end chips. They, they do EDA and systems integration. In this world where there's almost continuous demand for AI and shortages of chips, they're one of the key players in terms of designing software, and it's one of the least known. So to us, this is a steady grower with multiples that can expand and, and very good earnings visibility. I think it's the kind of stock you want to own, especially if you're expecting a year-end rally. And again, it's one of our super granny shots as well. All right, really quick, I have to ask everybody about this because it's higher for longer. Look at the valuation on Cadence, 46 times forward earnings, even higher than NVIDIA, 35 times earnings. So you're saying you're willing to pay up for the growth potential of this company? Uh, absolutely, because number one, the company doesn't have a lot of capital investment. It's a software company, but with improving visibility, a great capital structure, and you know, kind of an enviable position. I mean, they have—they're uh, really a hand, one of the handful of companies that provides the software. But again, really good visibility, high operating leverage. Got it. And it's not well known, so it's it's a stock that I could easily see multiples expanding. All right, Tom Lee's pick, Cadence Design System. Tom, always great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank One you. One quick look at the futures right now. As we mentioned, they're in the red across the board. It looks like the Dow would open up about 50 points lower right now, and that's going to do it for us. I actually want to take a quick look at Treasuries right now. Uh, as always, look at the benchmark tenure, taking a look at the yield on that right now at 4.75, so off of its highs of earlier this month, but elevated historically. And one quick look at oil this morning. We saw it moving higher earlier this morning. Uh, Brent, the international benchmark, crossing the 90 bucks a barrel mark. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up over a third of a percent. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's.